Hello, everyone. This is Isabel Cortez, and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories for the Soul. Of all the demons in all of the underworld, there is none more popular than the winged entity known as Pazuzu. When The Exorcist premiered in 1973, people all around the world were introduced to the demon Pazuzu who tormented young Reagan McNeil, possessing her body and threatening to consume her soul. We all rooted for Father Marin and Father Karras, the Catholic priest tasked in saving poor Reagan. We watched as they grappled with Pazuzu, gawking in horror as the demon cut through her flesh, starved her, and caused her to commit unspeakable acts. And when the priest finally triumphed and little Reagan was liberated from Pazuzu's violent grasp, we breathed out a collective sigh of relief and rejoiced in the demon's demise. But what if I told you that everything you know about this frightening demon is wrong? What if I told you that this was the demon you might want to have fighting in your corner? Pazuzu was most popular in the first millennium BCE and highly revered in the religions of ancient Mesopotamia. Son of Hambi, the king of the demons of the underworld, and brother to Humbaba, the demon god tasked in protecting the entrance to the cedar forest in the Epic of Gilgamesh, Pazuzu is demon royalty. He is the personification and demon of the southwest wind and king of the Lilu demons. The Lilu are a class of demons that present themselves as the north, south, east, and western winds, and together they have the powerful ability to sweep through homes and sometimes even whole cities, bringing with them famine, pestilence, and death. Now, before I really get into it, I want you all to know right off the bat that Pazuzu is by no means considered a benevolent being. He's not a good guy. Ancient Assyrian myths speak of him opening his fanged mouth and unleashing his hot and fiery breath down on the lands of Mesopotamia and spreading disease like an infectious cloud. He's even considered to be the cause for diseases like malaria and typhoid. As the demon of the southwest wind, he brought famine during the dry seasons and locusts during the rainy seasons. The guy really knew how to kick you when you were down. But he was never considered the end-all, be-all of evil demons. On the other hand, if you prayed to him and revered him as the radical demon god that he was, he could successfully protect you from the other big baddies that lurked in the shadows. Pazuzu was often invoked through prayers and rituals for protection against evil. These rituals were intended to take his natural tendencies to create chaos and harm against people and divert them towards protection against other demons. You see, the ancient Mesopotamians believed that gods could send demons to harass humans whenever it tickled their fancy. It was usually as a form of punishment or to teach a particular mortal a lesson, but sometimes it could be for smaller, pettier reasons, like an unattractive altar or because a baby was born on an inopportune day. Because of this, people learned how to protect themselves by calling upon a more powerful demon and using it as a protector against the others. This demon acted as a shield against the ire of the gods and the actions of other demons. Pazuzu was the most powerful of these protective deities. 
demons weren't always evil, and those that were still had the ability to do some good as long as they were rewarded with adulation and devotion. Pazuzu repelled other demons, especially those of the Lilu that he commanded. Artifacts were placed in and around the home with spells inscribed on their backs to summon Pazuzu and his protective abilities. Large amulets made from stone were hung on walls, while smaller statuettes were placed in children's rooms and communal living spaces. Necklaces and brooches were made of terracotta, bronze, iron, gold, glass, and animal bones, and they were worn on the body and were particularly popular with pregnant women. During Mesopotamian white magic rituals, Pazuzu was invoked to keep his wind demon subjects at bay. These demons often brought with them disease, impotency, and overall havoc because it was believed that they blew directly from the direction of the land of the dead. In several Sumerian and Akkadian compendia of ancient literature, Pazuzu is quoted as speaking of his ability of protection against the Lilu wind demons. In one text, he is quoted as saying, I am Pazuzu, king of the evil Lilu demons. I was enraged in violent motion against the strong mountains and ascended them. This text is interpreted as him witnessing his demons commit unwarranted acts of violence without his permission and him ascending the mountains to punish them. In another text, he personally witnesses these attacks while in his travels and comes down to break the wings of the transgressors. He says, I ascended a mighty mountain that shook and the evil winds I encountered there were heading west. One by one, I broke their wings. In layman's terms, don't fuck with people unless I tell you to. Remember how I said that pregnant women in particular were big fans of Pazuzu? That's because one of his main gigs was foiling the plans of Lamashtu, the demoness best known for causing pregnant women to miscarry and snatching the babies of new mothers. Lamashtu is described as a hideous being, and according to Rosemary Ellen Gulley's Encyclopedia of Demons and Demonology, having the head of a lion, the teeth of a donkey, a hairy body, naked breasts, blood-stained hands with long fingers and fingernails, and the feet of a bird. Using her long fingernails, she taps on the bellies of pregnant women seven times, causing them to miscarry. She is also known to hypnotize wet nurses so that she can steal newborns away. Lamashtu is both a subject of Pazuzu, being a Lilu demon herself, and his main antagonist. She's like the assistant manager that keeps messing with the boss behind his back because she wants his job, but when he steps up to her, she slinks back to her cubicle, muttering curses under her breath. It is theorized that the gods created Pazuzu as a counter to Lamashtu because she was getting out of control. The ancient Mesopotamians regarded sexual intercourse and childbirth to be incredibly sacred acts. And for Lamashtu to so brazenly go around fucking things up? Well, that was a big issue that needed correcting. Around the Bronze Age, Lamashtu began to appear as a member of the Lilu demons, making it easier for Pazuzu to get her in check. He would actively chase her from the homes of his devotees and send her hurtling back to the underworld until she knew how to act right. This is why pregnant women wore brooches and necklaces of his head, 
and why statuettes of him standing or crouching were found in young children's bedrooms. Lamashtu has a lot in common with the Christian deity Lilith, who was believed to be Adam's first wife. It is said that she actively defied God and Adam when she refused to be treated as his inferior. God originally created Lilith from the same foam that he created Adam, making her his equal. When Adam refused to treat her as such, she abandoned him, thus leading to the creation of Eve, who was created from Adam for Adam, like a weird flesh barbie. God punished Lilith by turning her into the first demon and condemning her to give birth multiple times a day to demon children, only to watch them be killed every night. Lilith is also known to kidnap and murder children, as well as cause miscarriages in pregnant women, as a way of retaliating against God. Pazuzu also bears a striking resemblance to the god Bess, from ancient Egyptian lore. Not so much in appearance, but in their missions. The deity Bess is actively worshipped as a protector of the home, and in particular, the mothers and children who live in it. She is also actively invoked while women are in labor so that she might protect them during their journey of childbirth. These two deities have so much in common that amulets of Bess and necklaces with the head of Pazuzu were found together. The artifacts were found in a 7th century era fort that was uncovered during an archaeological dig in Nimrud, an ancient Assyrian city located in Iraq. Nimrud is now the modern-day Assyrian village of Numenea in Iraq. Now, you're probably asking yourself, wouldn't calling on a demon like Pazuzu eventually backfire on you? I mean, we've all seen that movie, haven't we? The one where someone stupidly makes a pact with a demon for God knows what, and eventually the demon is like, okay, I'm done doing stuff for you. Time to take your soul and eat it with some barbecue sauce. Well, unlike their European religion-based cousins, ancient Mesopotamian demons don't work that way. The individual who wears the Pazuzu amulet, or who places his likeness around their home, is immune from harm from the demon. By wearing him and placing him around their home, the most sacred of spaces for most people, they are honoring him with their devotion, loyalty, and love. They are honoring him by asking for his protection, because they believe and trust in his almighty power. When Pazuzu sees this level of devotion, he turns his demonic powers from the mortal to the thing threatening the mortal. Isn't that nice of him? Pazuzu is the only Mesopotamian demon to star in a movie, an odd accomplishment to say the least. However, the exorcist didn't do much for the guy's street cred. It seems that the only thing that they got right about him was his physical appearance. All the images of Pazuzu that are seen in the movies are actual likenesses based on ancient artifacts. According to Eckhart Fromm's study of the demon, Pazuzu's appearance hasn't changed much throughout the years. History has depicted him about the same since his inception. He reportedly has a scaled, canine-like body with bird talons for feet and two pairs of wings. He has a scorpion's tail, the horns of a gazelle, and the muzzle of a dog. He sports human ears, large bulging eyes, and wrinkled cheeks from constantly flashing his sharp pointed teeth. When he is depicted standing, his right hand is facing up, palm out, while his left is palm down. 
while most depictions of him were handcrafted back in ancient times. Nowadays, you can buy a Pazuzu figurine from places like Amazon, Etsy, and even Walmart. So what happened to Pazuzu? What's with the reputation change? Well, the English word demon comes from the ancient Greek word daemon, which literally translates to spirit. The ancient Mesopotamians believed that demons could be good or bad, depending on their reasons for visiting you and the results of said visit. That dichotomy lived within those demons, just like it lived in mankind. When Christianity began to make its way into Mesopotamia, the use of protected demons began to dwindle. Beings like Pazuzu began to be replaced by angels and saints. The heads of the religion didn't want to risk people slipping back into the old ways and did everything possible to ensure a full integration of the Christian beliefs. This meant that things like demon protectors, old gods, and deities were openly condemned and publicly banished during mass to the Christian hell. Demons were already associated with the underworld, but in ancient Mesopotamian religions, the underworld didn't mean the same thing that it did in Christianity. Christian officials found it easy to make demons agents of evil who were in charge of the endless torture and punishment that occurred in their hell. Demons like Pazuzu lost their ability to perform good deeds and were blamed for all the difficulties and hardships that mortals endured on earth. There was no disruption of the new status quo. The New Testament actively depicts Jesus Christ fighting demons, and books in the Bible like the book of Acts and the book of Revelations describe demons as spawns of Satan, creatures directly linked to him and in his service. Demons were relegated to mindless agents of evil, incapable of good, in league with the devil, and harbingers of pain. It seems that the only good that they can do is good in the service of Satan. Unlike the religious beliefs of ancient Mesopotamia, there is no gray area in Christianity. Things are either good or they're evil. Those constraints can be very suffocating, and because of that, many people retain their previous religious beliefs but practice in secret. Gods like Pazuzu highlighted the ability for good and evil to live in the same space. Much like in mankind, the ability to do good and evil lived in constant imbalance within the deities of their old religion. This made those gods and demons more relatable and more fulfilling to worship in rituals and practices. Now, the story you're about to hear is that of a woman who was excited to become a mother, regardless of whether or not she had to do it alone. When her eccentric sister showed up at her home with a small gift of protection, she was hesitant to accept the help at first. But then, strange things started to happen, and she had to ask herself, how far would she go to protect her unborn child and herself? Candace was pregnant, seven months pregnant to be exact, and finding herself in a position she never thought she would be in, single motherhood. When she had first told her then-boyfriend Mark that she was pregnant, he was apprehensive about the idea of fatherhood, but together they made the decision to be parents to the expectant bundled of joy. Around the three-month mark, 
Candace noticed that he began to complain a lot about how their lives would change. No more sporadic traveling, no more events every weekend. She agreed that it would definitely be a drastic change for them, but nothing they couldn't handle. At five months, he stopped going to doctor's appointments and baby classes. At six months, he told her he didn't want any of his family and friends at the baby shower. And by seven months, he was completely checked out. Candace had to ask herself, is this the person she wanted to raise a child with? The answer was a swift and stern no. So she broke up with him and told him that if he wanted to be a part of their child's life, then he could be. But if he didn't, she wasn't going to be too broken up about it. Was this the road that she imagined her life going down? No. But it was the only road available to her, so she wasn't going to spend any more time worrying about it. Fortunately for her, she had a great support system, the most ferocious of them all being her sister Lillian. Lillian was an interesting person. From a very young age, she had been attracted to the supernatural and unconventional, so it was to no one's surprise that she decided to change her major three years into college and go from accounting to cultural anthropology. She wanted to study the various gods, demons, and spirits of different cultures and nations and see where the beliefs overlapped. When Candace announced that she was pregnant, Lillian was in a town in Costa Rica conducting interviews on nightmare demons. She immediately flew home and had been by her side ever since. One day, while Candace was putting the final touches on her new apartment, Lillian showed up unannounced with a brown paper package in her hands. Open it! She said, shoving the present into her sister's hands. What is it? Candace asked apprehensively. Her sister was notorious for giving odd, albeit considerate presents. Just open it, she said enthusiastically. Candace gently unfurled the brown paper and unwrapped what looked to her like the small stone statue of a bat. Well, not an actual bat. More like a bat-dog-human-bird hybrid. It had the muzzle of a dog with sharp teeth, two pairs of wings, the body of a human, and talons for feet. There were giant horns coming out of the top of his head and the scorpion tail on his backside. It had one hand up with the palm out and one hand down, and its lips were curled in a snarl. Um, Candace looked at her sister. It's, it's Pazuzu, she replied enthusiastically. Who? Pazuzu. He's a Mesopotamian demon god. Thank you? Pazuzu. Why does that name sound familiar? It's the demon from the exorcist. Candace's eyes almost popped out of their sockets. Lillian, get this guy out of my house, she shouted, shoving the statuette in her sister's hands. Lillian rolled her eyes and shoved the Pazuzu back at her sister. She took her by the hand and plopped her on the couch. Gently, she placed the Pazuzu statuette on the coffee table and put her best professor voice on. Pazuzu is a demon god from the ancient Mesopotamian era, popular mainly in the Assyrian regions. He is said to be the ruler of the wind gods that would ravage through towns, bringing pestilence and torment onto those who disobeyed or angered the gods. Candace opened her mouth to say something, but her sister cleared her throat and shot her a withering look, so she chose to stay quiet instead. Above all things, however, Pazuzu was a protector of pregnant women and those who had newborn infants in their care. 
people would adorn rooms with small statues of Pazuzu so that he could take care of their children and pregnant women would wear amulets of his head around their necks for protection throughout the pregnancy. Spells and incantations were carved on the back of most statues to enhance that protection. Candace grabbed the statue from the table and turned it around. Roughly etched onto its stone back were words in a language that she couldn't make out. She was alarmed at the odd feeling of warmth coming off of it. Not that I'm not grateful, but why exactly do you think I need this? She asked her sister. Lillian went to sit down beside her. Well, because I know things haven't been the easiest for you. What with Mark not wanting to get involved and his mother wanting to get too involved, I thought a little extra protection against some bad energy might be good for you. Candace smiled at her sister. When she thought about it, it really was a thoughtful gift. Ugly, but thoughtful. The door to the apartment flung open and their mother Irene was standing in the threshold holding several large boxes. The girls ran over to help her, set them down, and when Irene's eyes cleared through the area and zeroed in on Pazuzu, she freaked. Oh, good gracious, what is that thing? She asked, dramatically clasping at her chest. Lillian rolled her eyes at her mother. It's a protection charm, mother. I got it for Candace. It looks like a demon. He is, but a good demon. Well, a demon with a good purpose. Anyway, what do you care? I care because Candace doesn't need to be looking at that ugly thing the rest of her pregnancy. Candace likes it. Candace is right here, Candace replied with a wave of her hand. And I don't mind it. I think it's sweet. Absolutely not. I won't have that thing in this house, their mother said. She swept up the Pazuzu statue and shoved it into a plastic bag. Candace listened as her mother and sister bickered on the way out of her apartment. That night, Candace had a terrible dream. She had been told that having nightmares and odd dreams was to be expected, but this one was different. It felt vivid, real, as if it were actually happening without her realizing. She dreamt that she was standing on the curb at a stoplight, waiting to cross the street, when her bags tore, sending her groceries rolling down the street. She quickly scanned the road to make sure that there were no cars coming and waddled over to pick up what little she could. Suddenly, she felt hands on her back and a forceful push. Before she knew it, she was on her belly in the middle of the road and a car was coming full speed towards her. She tried to run, tried to get up and get clear of the calamity, but it was too late. The last thing she smelled was the hot asphalt underneath her as she felt the full weight of a car on her back. Candace woke up screaming and clutching at her stomach and back as if to pull the car off of herself. It took her a full hour to calm down and even then she never ended up falling back asleep. The following days were littered with small strange occurrences like those. If Candace didn't know any better, she could have sworn that the world was out to get her. She had accidentally ingested past-due cough medicine when she developed a sore throat and rushed herself to the hospital to ensure that she hadn't inadvertently harmed the baby and herself. While on the treadmill, her shoelace came untied and caught on the treadmill, causing her to trip and fall. She would have landed on her stomach had she not caught herself on the handrails and tugged off her shoe in mere seconds. 
A window even shattered in the nursery after a pigeon flew headfirst into the glass, sending shards flying everywhere. It was as if she was standing on the precipice of disaster, missing destruction by mere centimeters. It all came to a head when she was walking home from the grocery store and her bags broke, sending produce rolling into the streets. She looked both ways for oncoming traffic and was about to step out and retrieve some things when she had a flashback to that horrible dream she had experienced days before. A voice in her head told her to stop. Don't. Just let them be. And before she could protest, a car came speeding down the road, running the red light and crushing her groceries in the street. Her heart beat violently in her chest and people gathered around her to ensure that she was okay. Oh dear God in heaven, that could have been you! An elderly woman beside her said, patting her back. After that, Candace didn't feel safe. There was something wrong. She knew it. She didn't know how she knew, but she did. There was something out to get her and her baby, and whatever it was, was missing her by a few short moments. But even she knew that her luck wouldn't last forever. Eventually, something would happen, and she didn't want to think about the outcome of it. Candace picked up her phone and did the only thing she could think of. Called Lillian. Hey Lil, I need a favor from you. Sure, what's up? I need you to steal back that Pazzini statue that you gave me from mom. First of all, it's Pazuzu. Second, what's going on? Candace bit her lip. I don't know, to be honest with you. I can't help but feel like there's something after me and the baby. It's like everywhere I go, trouble follows. And it's not just the physical things. It's something else. I feel like I'm being watched. Followed by this dark cloud of hostility that wants to hurt me. Maybe I'm being paranoid, but I just don't feel safe. I figure some demon god protection wouldn't hurt, right? Even if it's all in my head, it might make me feel better. Lillian was quiet on the other line. Candace checked her phone to make sure that the call hadn't been disconnected. Calls to her family were being dropped sporadically on her phone, and she didn't know why. Lil? she asked. Okay, here's the thing, her sister said hesitantly. What? she asked. Okay, so I was super pissed that mom would just take Pazuzu from you, right? Like, she had zero right to do that or to tell you what you can and can't do for your baby. So that day, I snatched it out of her purse and told her I would just take it home, but... But what? But that night while you were out, I used the spare key you gave me and snuck into your apartment and put it back. She said rapidly. Candace looked around her apartment. You did? Are you mad? Lillian asked. I swear I didn't mean to break in. It's just mom makes me so mad sometimes. I bought it for you for protection. And like what's she done except for buy ugly baby clothes and pressure you into naming the baby Marvin? Where did you put it? Candace asked walking around the house. In that cabinet above the stove. You know the one that you can't reach now because your belly's so big? Candace got up on her chair and sure enough, 
there it was, ugly as ever, but radiating a comforting feeling that she didn't exactly know how to describe. I can take it back if you like, Lillian said. No, Candace replied forcefully and then caught herself. No, no, it's fine, but can you come over for a bit? I'm on my way, Lillian replied and hung up. When her sister arrived, Candace had the Pazuzu statue sitting in the middle of her coffee table. Do you want to tell me what's going on? Lillian asked. Candace stood up and began pacing. I haven't been entirely honest with you and mom about Mark's mother. What do you mean? I mean, she's not just being weirdly interested in the baby. She's being downright possessive to the point where I'm starting to get a little afraid of her. Candace sat down and described to her sister how Mark's mother, Nancy, had been invested in her pregnancy at first in a loving and grandmotherly way. Of course, she was upset that Mark wanted to have nothing to do with the baby, but that didn't mean that she couldn't have a relationship with it. Candace had told her from the beginning that she was welcome to meet the baby and visit from time to time when it was born. But then, things began to take a turn. Candace began to receive voicemails on the daily from Nancy, begging her to come by so that she could rub her belly and speak to the baby. She wanted to be there for every appointment and wanted scans of all of the ultrasounds. She wanted to be there for the birth, insisting that she be the one to pull the baby out and cut the umbilical cord. Things came to a head when she emailed Candace articles on how women can sometimes experience sympathetic lactation, lactation that occurred even though they themselves were not pregnant, and suggested that her and Candace switch off breastfeeding the baby if Candace was not able to do so. It was disturbing and uncomfortable, so Candace called Mark for the first time in months and told him to tell his mother to stop. When he did, she thought that that would be the end of it. But no, things got worse. The messages, emails, and voicemails went from odd to angry and disturbed. There were 30-minute rants about the feeling of childbirth and what it meant for women to no longer experience that. She talked about the damage that Candace was doing to the baby, the damage that Mark was doing, and how she was the only person who understood what the unborn child needed. Eventually, Candace blocked all communication with Nancy, but shortly after, the nightmares, accidents, and horrible feelings began. Why didn't you tell us? Lillian asked, fuming. Honestly, I thought I could handle it. Lillian grabbed the Pazuzu statuette and rolled it in her hands. Looks like he's doing his job after all. What do you mean? Candace asked. Well... You said that these things are happening, but that nothing's really gotten you yet, right? Like the treadmill thing. What are the odds that you would catch yourself so quickly or get your shoe off so fast? Or the car, that voice that told you to stop? I think that was him. It's like he's protecting you even from afar. Who knows what would have happened if he hadn't been here? Who knows how much he's stopped? Candace thought back to when the pigeon crashed into the window. She had been standing in the middle of the room, right in front of the window, and nothing had happened to her. Glass had flown everywhere, cutting up curtains and linens, but she didn't have a scratch on her. I'm going to tell you something that you probably don't want to hear, 
Lillian said. I think that Mark's mom is sending these horrible things your way. I think that all of that negativity that is radiating off of her is being directed towards you. And that's what's prompting these attacks. But why? Because she's crazy? I don't know. Maybe she's not all there. Maybe she's just a malicious, horrible person who knows exactly what she's doing. All I'm certain of right now is that she wants to hurt you because in her twisted mind, you're hurting her. I think that if I hadn't hidden Pazuzu here, you might not be here right now. Candace grabbed the statue and hugged it close to her chest. Okay, so what do I do now? She asked. Well, first things first, get a restraining order. Second, wear this. Lillian pulled out a Pazuzu head from her purse. It was fashioned as a necklace with a thick black cord. Candace gave her sister a quizzical look. I've been carrying it around. Honestly, I was going to break back into your house and hang it in your bathroom, but this is way easier and more effective. She tied the necklace around her sister's neck and fastened the cord. The charm had the same warmth radiating off of it that the statue did. Candace could feel it on her skin. Now this part, I'm not so sure how much you'll like, but I highly recommend it. Lillian had left a note with Candace with instructions on how to perform a devotion ritual. She was to personally call on Pazuzu for protection. Lillian promised her that she didn't have to pledge her soul or the soul of her baby or anything like that. She just needed to talk to the demon god and tell him what his protection would mean to her. Candace was hesitant, but she was tired of living in constant fear, so she was willing to try anything. That night, Candace locked her doors, created a circle of candles in her living room, and sat in the middle of it with the Pazuzu statue. She looked deeply into its eyes before closing her own. She had memorized the words that Lillian had told her to say, and now she was ready. Pazuzu, God of the Wind Demons, Protector of Expectant Mothers, the Unborn and the Young, I call to you. I call out your name in the hopes that you will hear my cries for help and protection. Bless me, Pazuzu, with the force of your power. Be my shelter and my sanctuary against these trying times. Your strength is insurmountable, and I wish to bring this new life into the world under the umbrella of your protection. There was a small part of Candace that felt silly for doing this. If someone were to break into her apartment right now, they would run for the hills seeing a pregnant woman sitting in front of a demon statue. But there was a larger part of her that felt strong, in control. Immediately after speaking the words, the candles blew out one by one until she was shrouded in darkness. A low growl began to emanate from the darkness around her. Any normal person would have run over to a light switch or lamp and flicked it on. But not her. A calm had spread over her. A feeling of tranquility that told her that she had nothing to fear. A candle from within the circle lit on its own and she awkwardly bent down to grab it. Illuminated by the single candle's flame, she followed the growl to the hallway where she stood face to face with Pazuzu, the demon god.
He was almost eight feet tall, with scales on his canine body. His four wings were tucked away at his sides, and his clawed feet left holes on her carpet. He smelled like a dust storm, and his lips were parted in a small snarl, steam rising out of his nostrils with every breath he took. He towered over Candace, who stood rooted to the spot. Pazuzu raised a hand, palm up, and placed it gently on her forehead. A hot, almost searing sensation emanated from his palm and onto her flesh, but it didn't hurt. She felt the heat, but felt none of the pain. She closed her eyes and basked in the sensation. He then slowly removed his hand and placed it on her stomach, right where her baby was sleeping. She felt a fluttering kick, a small sign of recognition, and from deep within, the beating of her baby's heart. It was strong. Pazuzu lowered his head so that he was at eye level with her. She couldn't take her eyes off of the demon god, even as they began to water from not blinking. Protected, he proclaimed in a low growl. Thank you, Candace whispered in reply. She watched the demon god turn around, watched his wings leave track marks on her carpet as he dissolved from her sight. When he was finally gone, all that was left of him was the smell of dust and char. She inhaled the scent deeply before passing out. Candace awoke safely in her bed with the Pazuzu amulet Lillian had given her secure around her neck. Her first thought was that she might have imagined everything from the previous night, but as she walked down the hallway, the marks that Pazuzu had left on the carpet were still there. The candles were there too, as well as the Pazuzu statuette nestled in the middle. Candace awkwardly bent down, picked it up, and placed it on a table in the baby's nursery. An overwhelming feeling of calm spread over Candace and her apartment. She left for work that day feeling serene. She didn't know if it was a placebo effect or if her prayers to Pazuzu had actually worked, but for the first time in weeks, she felt safe. That is until she made it back to her apartment after work, and the door was wide open. Immediately, she dialed 911 and was advised not to step inside, but after she hung up, she felt compelled to see what had happened. The apartment was turned upside down. Pillow stuffing was thrown around the room, and her couches and curtains were slashed with what looked like a knife. Her dishes were broken, thrown all over the kitchen, and some even smashed in the cupboard. She followed the mess down the hallway, where she noticed that the light to the nursery was on. Slowly, she stepped inside and gasped. Mark's mother was sitting in the rocking chair she had built specially for the room. A baby book nestled in her lap, and as she was flipping through it, Candace noticed that it was filled with pictures of her baby's ultrasounds and doctor's visits. Except that Candace herself had been cut out of all of the photos and replaced with photos of Nancy. Nancy, what are you doing in my house? Candace asked, her voice shaking. You know, when Mark was born, it was just me and him. No one helped me or visited me in the hospital. And when we came home, nobody visited us there either. Nancy, I... 
It was horrible to be so alone. And now I'm alone again. Alone because you won't let me have this beautiful little baby that's about to make his grand entrance. Candace went from afraid to furious. Let you have? Of course I won't let you have him, Nancy. He's my son. You're not fit to be his mother, she shouted suddenly on her feet. Look at this place. Cheap. Trash. He deserves better. She shouted as she tore into the baby blankets with the knife that she had strategically hidden in her lap. Candace watched her rip her baby's room to shreds. And that thing, she shouted, pointing at the Pazuzu statue. I can feel its eyes boring into me. What are you, a Satanist now? Do you really think I would allow my baby to be raised by a devil worshiper? Candace could see Nancy's pupils dilating with rage, and she knew the woman wasn't there in her right mind. But she also knew that if she didn't get out of there now, she would surely be killed. Pazuzu, help me, she whispered under her breath. You think some devil's going to help you? Nancy roared. She raised the knife over her head and stalked towards Candace. I am going to take that baby and love it more than you ever could. But suddenly, Nancy stopped. A look of shock took over her face and her eyes darted left and right. Candace could see her muscles tense and slowly she floated upwards and was suspended in midair. Her toes dangled and tried to cling to the carpet below her. The fingers that were holding onto the knife turned blue until she finally let go, sending the weapon flying inexplicably into the wall behind Candace. Nancy opened and closed her mouth, gasping for air, trying to form words to say, but nothing came out. The familiar scent of dirt filled the room, and from thin air, Pazuzu emerged, standing between Candace and Nancy. Candace took a step backwards, and Pazuzu extended his large wings, the span of which filled the room. He took a long look at Nancy, twisting his head to the side, and inhaled her scent deeply. A growl escaped his snarled lips. Help, Nancy finally managed to mutter. Pazuzu turned his head around almost a full 180 degrees to look at Candace behind him. She knew that no matter what, there was nothing she could do for Nancy now. And almost as if in response, Pazuzu unleashed a thunderous growl, the likes of which sent a violent wind whipping through the room. Through the thin membrane of Pazuzu's wings, Candace could see Nancy lift into the air at least four feet and fly crashing out of the window. Glass shattered and flew around the room, but Pazuzu's body protected Candace. When the wind died down, Candace ran past Pazuzu to the window and saw Nancy's body crumpled below, dead. She turned back to face the demon god. He retracted his wings, not a single scratch on his body, and in his low voice said, protected, once again, before fading away. The police arrived at her apartment shortly after. 
They asked her all the usual questions and she answered with a version of the truth. Nancy had obviously broken into her apartment. Camera footage in the complex corroborated that. Once inside, she tried to stab Candace to death. Candace, in turn, tried to fight back, and in the scuffle, Nancy lost her balance and went flying out of the window. Even though it was partly true, Candace was afraid of the holes in her account. She began to imagine giving birth in jail when she noticed that the eyes of all of the police officers in the building began to cloud over until they were all in opaque gray color. Candace watched as their bodies stiffened and in unison all opened their mouths and said, protected. A few seconds later, they all returned to normal. Okay, I think we have all we need here. I'm very sorry you had to go through all of this, ma'am, but don't worry, we'll get it sorted out. Here's the number of a few resources you might want to reach out to if you feel the need to talk to someone about what happened tonight. Candace thanked the officers, and they piled out. When Lillian arrived that night to help her clean up, Candace word vomited everything that had happened, from the night of the ritual to the attack. She watched her sister's face for any signs of shock, but there were none. Why aren't you freaking out? She asked. Lillian touched the Pazuzu amulet hanging around her sister's neck. Because this is what I do, remember? I always knew what Pazuzu was capable of, but I'm not going to lie. I feel kind of bad. Well, yeah, a person's dead. No. I'm sorry, Candace. I don't feel bad about that at all. She was going to kill you and maybe Marvin Baby in there. I don't feel bad that she's gone or dead, no matter how bad that might sound. I'm sorry that I didn't tell you about Pazuzu and what he was capable of. I always thought he was good, Candace said. I mean, I felt protected. I didn't feel any evil coming off of him. Lillian scoffed. Candace, he is good. Well, he's as good as a demon can be. But remember, he's a demon. And protector. He's not going to be all flowing red cape and laser beam eyes. He is bad. And good. He did something horrible for a great reason. Candace clutched her Pazuzu amulet. So what now? What do you mean? Well, Candace asked, how long will he stay? For as long as you want him to, I guess. That part is kind of up to you. Candace thought about that and asked herself, what if this happens again? What if someone tried to hurt her again and Pazuzu unleashes his fury on them? In the end, she decided that if he did unleash literal hell on whoever was trying to hurt her and her baby, it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. She kept her amulet and the statuette up in the nursery, and when she gave birth, Lillian brought another and placed it behind Candace in the delivery room. The first night that she brought her baby home, a chubby little boy who was not named Marvin, she and Lillian stood in the middle of the nursery while the baby slept one holding a candle and the other holding the statuette and chanted, Hail Pazuzu. How far would you go to protect your child? 
how far would you go to protect the ones that you love? Would you go as far as to call in the protection of an ancient deity that can barely be contained? That type of love runs deep. I know it's easy for all of us to say that we wouldn't go to such lengths, but really, there's no one around you. You're all alone and no one will judge you for answering a certain way. Would you go that far? I feel confident in saying that, yes, I would. And trust me when I say, I won't judge you if you would too. Hail Pazuzu. Before I go, I wanted to share a fan email with you all from a listener named Sarah Rindell and her terrifying Ouija board story. Sarah writes, Hello, I came across your podcast today and listened to the first episode about Ouija boards. I absolutely love the podcast and will be listening to more. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed your humor and I always love swear words. Oh, me too. (laughs) I wanted to share my Ouija board story with you. I feel we share the same respect for the board. It is not something to be meddled with lightly or disrespected. Nope. So with that being said, here's my story. I was living in an upstairs suite with my boyfriend at the time in Wheeland, Ontario, Canada. I can't remember the street name, but it was one whatever street, Unit A. We had a cat, and she would often sit at the top of the stairs, and it appeared she was watching someone walk up the stairs, like her head would move slightly upwards. Now, we all know cats have an affinity of energy, so this didn't surprise me as we had recently started hearing footsteps coming up the stairs. Sometimes, the cat's head movements would coincide perfectly with the step's sound. One day, my boyfriend suggested we get a Ouija board and talk to whomever was in the house. I was so against it. It terrified me, but I caved and went along. We asked to speak with whomever was pacing our staircase. We spoke to Harold Galbraith. He said the house used to belong to him and his wife, Vera. Vera had inherited the house from her parents, and they had two sons, Matthew and I can't remember the name of the other son. Vera had a twin sister named Diane, who was extremely jealous. Vera had inherited the house and was married with two boys. Harold told us he was searching for Vera and what was our living room was their master bedroom. He feared Diane, who had died before Vera, was helping Vera or was keeping Vera hidden from him in the afterlife. For proof, we asked Harold where his family is buried, plot numbers, etc., We went to city records and all the information matched. Shortly after our board encounter, Harold made himself much more welcome. He would sit at the edge of the bed on my side and I would feel the mattress depressed down. He would open the shower curtain. He would play with my hair. Okay, yes, I know what you're all going to say. Hear me out. We got back on the board and asked Harold why he is doing these things. He said it's because I look exactly like Vera and he is in love with me. Okay, time to move. So we moved. About a year later, I was helping my mom at work and met the little old lady who works reception. When I met her, she was silent, eyes wide open, and jaw slacked. I asked her if she was okay. She said, and I quote, Oh yes, dear, I'm just taken by how much you look like my dear school friend Vera. Now my jaw was on the floor. I asked, twin sister Diane? She said yes. Husband named Harold? Yes. Boys Matthew and whatever? Yes. Diane died before her? Yes. Inherited the house on one whatever street in Wheeland? Yes. She asked how I knew all of this and I told her. She said Diane was an evil person. So full of jealousy and rage, I asked if there was a chance Diane is hiding Vera in the afterlife from Harold and she said yes. 
fuck. I was so scared. I was this close to becoming a, to being a part of some afterlife jealousy rage, and I'm so glad I didn't get more caught up in it. However, that night when I went home, I was having a bath in the new apartment, and suddenly the shower curtain started moving again. Fucking Harold. <laughs> I told him to move on. He has to focus on finding Vera. I have never seen his presence again. One thing I really urge people to consider when playing with a Ouija board is the future ramifications. I do believe houses or objects can be haunted or possessed. Since then, I have not touched a Ouija board, but every house I live in has entities. So, I feel like people can attract entities as well, and perhaps the Ouija board invited them into your life. I have three in my current house. I have Yvette Kronk, who stays at my back door and sometimes does weird random things like open the door or put my broom outside or turns on all the lights. I have her husband, Ernest, who roams the hallway and kitchen. He likes to play music from the basement, and I have my six-year-old daughter, passed away, who just follows me, but she mainly stays in my bedroom. The Kronks built a lot of the houses on my street, and after talking to several people who knew them and people who own a Kronk-built house, we all report the same things. They are friendly, mean no harm. Apparently, Yvette loved to play practical jokes on people, so what she does is perfectly in line with her character. So that is my Ouija board story, and I totally feel if I didn't engage in such activities, I wouldn't be so susceptible to entities now. I'm blessed that Ernest and Yvette are kind. I hope you enjoyed my story and keep the podcast coming. Oh my god! <laughs> How do I even... Okay, so Sarah, that was a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, and Sarah brings up a really good point, guys. Okay, so I said it before in my Ouija board episode, but I'm going to say it now just because... You don't know what you're talking to. So Sarah kind of lucked out in the fact that she got this person and it gave her all this information. But she makes a really good point that even after she moved, these spirits are still kind of like making themselves known to her. So it might be that, yes, they were chilling in the house, but until she got there, they might have just been dormant. And they can kind of sense when someone's been playing with a Ouija board and like have that kind of extra energy around them. And so they'll be attracted to you. So you don't really know like the ramifications. You might think like, oh, okay, I'm contacting this thing and it's evil and maybe I'll just move, which is great. But a lot of the times the story does not end there. Like you will become a permanent like magnet to these things that are calling out. And Sarah really lucked out. She's got a lot of really good spirits that are surrounding her, which is great. She's got practical jokers. She's got her daughter she's got really loving people apart from you know the one but not everyone can be that lucky so it's definitely like i would i would heed sarah's warning think about the ramifications before you guys try doing this stuff and honestly sarah if you're still with that boyfriend ooh, i would give him hell every single day how dare you bring a ouija board into my home how dare you fill my space with all of that juju and negativity like Every single day I would bring that up. If the house is not clean and he complains about it, I would bring up that Ouija board. I would never, never, never drop that Ouija board. I would constantly hang it over his head. Absolutely not. I, he sounds like a great guy, but absolutely not. That is the one thing I would always bring up in a fight all the time, every single day. Um, Sarah, I really hope that the spirits that are around you are consistently positive. If they are not consistently positive, I, I bless you with the best intentions possible that they will eventually move on and leave you alone. But you seem like a really smart, very capable woman. I know that you could probably handle it, but but bless you. Bless your house. 
bless your boyfriend. <laughs> um, thank you for never touching a Ouija board again. And thank you for writing in. Guys, if you have any more stories about Ouija boards or EVPs or Sarah Baker's haunted dress or even Pazuzu, the episode that we did today, please, please, please write in at scarystoriesforthesoul at gmail.com. The link is the what the website is always going to be in the episode descriptions um, from here on out anyway. So please write in with any of those stories. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking this haunted journey with me today. This is the first in my six episode series on demons from across several religions and cultures. So if you want to hear more about these underworld beings, don't forget to rate and subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. Until next time. <laughs>